back to Ars Arcanum, an exploration of Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere. I'm Nora. I'm joined by Mark. Hi, I'm Mark. And Autumn. I'm Autumn, and I'm joined by Naked uh, Green Machine Juice. Hashtag uh, ad. Hashtag uh, promoted content. Uh-huh. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, oh, I love that green juice. I, it's just the green juice that I drink most days. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't had like a like a bottled like blended juice smoothie thing in ages because I um, feel like I should just make smoothies, but I don't own a blender, so I just buy this shit all the time. Yeah, I mean definitely it's a make, lot of work. making smoothies yourself, it's definitely cheaper and like if you stock all the ingredients, it's not that hard, right? Like if you buy a bunch mm-hmm. of fucking bananas and frozen spinach or whatever it is that you like in your smoothies once you have all this stuff you just throw it in the machine and press the button and then you have it but yeah keeping yourself stocked on all those fucking fruits and vegetables is not easy no no what i would do is i would get frozen strawberries from the albertsons Mm -hmm. and a banana Mm -hmm. maybe some ice cream Mm -hmm. and fresh blueberries from the store mm-hmm. and then every so often my aunt would go out to a peach farm and pick peaches oh. and uh we would get we would like freeze them we'd chop them up and freeze them in bags so i would grab a pouch of frozen peaches or fresh if they were fresh and toss those in there but i preferred frozen so that it would add to the texture yeah 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 when i was a kid my mom would very regularly make uh mango milkshakes and i think those were like frozen mangoes and yogurt and probably something else anyway she would make those all the time and i really enjoyed them as a kid um now i have a feeling of resentment towards smoothies because i have to make them at work and Mm. it's a pain in the ass because like um we like we prep all of it ourselves basically. So, well, I guess we don't prep it completely from scratch, but we get like big boxes of frozen fruit and like hands of bananas from like our food supplier. And then during the workday at this busy cafe, we have to find the time to chop up the bananas and like portion the frozen strawberries and portion the frozen blueberries into a cup. And then we stick that cup in the freezer. And then when someone orders a smoothie, we take that cup out and we like add, you know, like yogurt and juice. So like, it means that at some point in the day, we may run out of prepped smoothies and then we've got to fucking make more. And it sucks. (laughs) Yeah. I wish that they still made smoothies at Starbucks. Yeah. um, They got rid of those. The ones that um, they used to have were a real pain in the ass uh, mm-hmm. to make. Um, and they haven't had us like the first three months I was working there. I was the only person, I'm pretty sure we would sell like one or two a day, which meant that it was enough to always be a pain and not enough that anyone could ever remember how to make it. So everybody would have to reference the recipe every time. And I drank them a lot of days because I was going through a lot of Crohn stuff and needed, like, something that was high protein, and I also wanted caffeine with my protein. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The thing is, is that even when, now that I'm thinking back on it, even when they did make 
smoothies at Starbucks, they weren't as good as the McDonald's ones. No, no. I will say... I never worked at Starbucks when we had fruit smoothies, so... There is one nice thing about the fruit smoothies at my job, which is that if you follow the instructions, um, like if you, you know, it's like uh, fill the cup with the frozen fruit in it with, uh, you know, cranberry juice and then add a half cup of yogurt. If you actually use that amount of ingredients, you get way more smoothie than fits in the cup that we're supposed to use. Like, mm. we're supposed to give customers, like, 16 ounces of smoothie, and you'll get, like, fucking 20 to 24 ounces. And that extra is mm. for me. Yes. <laughs> so that's yes. nice. <laughs> this is the thing, is that um, making frappuccinos, they always portion it so that there's, like, a little tiny bit of extra, just in case. Not very much, mm-hmm. but a little tiny bit. Um, but if someone orders, say four frappuccinos you can throw all those in one blender and you have enough waste that now you've got a fifth small frappuccino um and that's mine (laughs) that's pretty nice our our equivalent to frappuccinos are like blended coffee drinks always come out under actually Mm. um which is unfortunate but it's whatever people usually want whipped cream so you just fucking fill the cup up with whipped cream and it looks fine yeah well, since clearly we didn't read anything this week except smoothie instructions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I... Go ahead. You have to do your confessions. I have to... Okay. I'm, I'm the other. I'm the priest. I'm in the other room. We've got the lattice between us. Mm. I finished Locke Lamora. Yes, my child. That book's pretty fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say fuck to a priest. Oh, oh, that's what you think. Constantly say fuck to priests in Loch Lamora. The main guy is a priest. He's a priest hmm. and a thief. Um, Loch Lamora, you mean? He's a priest? Yeah. Yes. He is a priest of the 13th um, uh, secret god who oh, is the right. god of thieves. They got and... different gods and shit. Yeah. They've got 12 gods, but he's a priest of the 13th, the Crooked Warden. Um, yeah, me too. Books. Uh, okay. <clears throat> the narrative voice does not get any less grating. I just got acclimatized to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the character work is solid. And the like situations of like thieving and the like double crosses and the escalations, all of that is just entertaining. I don't think it's like. I don't think it's like a great book, but I think it is very good at just being something very entertaining to read for you know however many hours um how communist is it how much zero communist communist. zero communist oh well then i can't read it um (sighs) i know does anyone engage in mutual aid in this book no (laughs) i know there are two more books Mm -hmm. i know there are four more planned um the last book came out in 2013 Mm -hmm. (laughs) um And people in the Discord tell me that the second book is not as good. I think I think people in the Discord said that the third book is good, but the second book isn't very good. Anyway, um, all this to say, I may keep reading more Loch Lamora. I may not. Time will tell. But yes, I did really come around on the first book. I did really, really enjoy that first book. So that's nice. that's it. But everything I said that was bad about it continued to be true it's just that it got entertaining <laughs> so nothing wrong with that yeah 
I only did like start reading something. I don't necessarily want to take up too much time because <laughs> last time was the whole episode. Uh, but I did start reading um, Orlando by Virginia Woolf, um, oh. which is a wild book. <laughs> Uh, because it's, uh, so Virginia Woolf was in, like, a passionate love affair with a woman named Vita Sackville West, uh, and so she decided to write a novel that was, like, basically a love letter to Sackville West, uh, and it's a fictionalized biography of a person named Orlando who begins life as like the scion of a noble house in Elizabethan England and is like obsessed with poetry and generally kind of like a shithead. And then uh, one day he wakes up and he's been transformed into a woman. Uh, and also he doesn't die. Mm. He's immortal. He goes on to live for like several more centuries. Um, I'm pretty earlier in the book because I've just reached the, the gender transformation. And it was incredible. Uh, allegorical figures of um, purity, chastity, and modesty like showed up and were like, no, hide this. Say that Orlando died. And then there were like trumpets of truth being like, no, we have to know. And <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't actually gotten into the part of the story where Orlando is a woman. But I'm fascinated to see that. It is, like, simultaneously a really trans-mask and trans-femme book. Because, I mean, mm. obviously it's got this character being TF'd into a girl. But also, uh, Virginia Woolf was writing it about a woman who cross-dressed so that she could walk around with her female lover in, like, 19-teens Paris. So... There's this weird thing where she's come up with a man who turns into a woman so that she can write about this woman who dresses as a man in real life. And there's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'll probably have more to say about that when I actually finish it. Um, yeah. Um, one thing is that I'm listening to it as an audiobook, and that's been a lot of fun. Um, because it's, you know, uh, an old enough book that there is just like a free like uh, a free audiobook recording out there that you can find. Technically, it's not in the public domain in the US. It's like a year too late for that, but it is in the public mm. domain in like the EU. So when you look up like free ebooks or free audiobooks of Orlando, there'll be all these disclaimers like, this material may not be in the public domain in your country. And it's like, oh, yeah, all right, sure. <laughs> now, I was under the impression that Disney had nuked the EU. Is that not... Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Let's talk about Mistborn. Well, yeah, all right. <clears throat> I was just going to say that we started a new book together. Oh, we did! Uh, not that much to say because we're in the first act still. Yeah. But I have here, as of um, a couple days ago, your sort of ranking of guys yeah in dragons of autumn twilight i have listened to one more chapter without you but um can i tell you something yeah i've read these books a million times 
My ranking of guys in Dragons of Autumn Twilight has not changed, so you can read this on air. So, do I go from lowest to highest? Go to lowest to highest. So lowest we have... Um... No, go highest to lowest. Okay. Highest we have Tasselhoff Burfoot. Love that guy. He's a little guy. Perfect guy. Give me, give me just five words on him. Ish. Funny rogue. Mm-hmm. Real cute. Yeah. Guy. Halfling, basically. Yeah. Uh, Flint Fireforge. I like him. He's a very serious person, mm-hmm. unlike most of these fucking jokers. He's old. He's old. He's an old man. Like, yeah. they don't really emphasize that right now, but yeah. he's like full white beard, mm-hmm. wrinkly face. He's 150 son. He's a dwarf also, yeah. but he's like old. He's older than Gimli is in like Fellowship, mm-hmm. for example. Tannis Half-Elven, also known as Tantalus. Uh, Tannis made a strong first impression that he has the most divorced guy energy of anyone I've ever read in fiction. Uh, and that includes Locke Lamora, who is the second most divorced guy in all of fiction. <laughs> How divorced is Indiana Jones? Mega divorced, but not, nowhere <laughs> near the levels of divorce that Locke Lamora and Tannis okay. Half-Elven hit. Uh... That is what you described him as. Uh, would you say that he broods? Yes. Yeah. So um, he, he he sits on eggs and doesn't let anyone come near him. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, exactly. That's a stupid joke about what the word brooding literally means. It's like what a chicken does when it when it's trying to hatch some eggs. It like sits on them and like it's kind of aggressive because it it's worried about the eggs. Mm-hmm. It's very funny to think about uh, men who are described as brooding and fiction as doing that. That is how Wolverine <laughs> is, right? That is what Wolverine is like, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Except that the brood is like his mutant children. Yeah, at least some students. of them are probably eggs, right? So <laughs> <laughs> like one guy who can turn his skin into metal that's kind of like an eggshell. Stop! Number four, Fizzbam. Who's that? Oh, that guy. I hate him. What? He's a jerk. What? He's a funny jerk, but... You said he has potential to move up. He has potential to move up, but he does... His introduction is him being a comedy asshole. So... He's a wizard. Yeah. Probably. We don't know that. I don't know. He's got wizard vibes. He's got wizard vibes. Uh, Raceland? I fucking hate him. (laughs) I fucking hate Raceland. Mm-hmm. Wretched man. I'll throw him off a cliff. That'll probably destroy Whoa, him, right? Lift. He's got, like, I'm... bird bones? He's, uh... Something like that, yeah. He's got the death cough? He he's has... got the death cough. He's... he's got the anime death cough. He's got he's 10 got... constitution, which apparently his player thought was, like, extremely low and was upset about, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know about that, but 10 in later versions is average well like the average normal person this is just something that ben mentioned to me when like i was like oh the blakes are reading dragon's bottom twilight um and his claim i don't know where he got this uh was that so like these books are based on like an actual D &D game right broadly yeah um the characters specifically i don't know how much the i mean the the story of the first trilogy is an adventure module that you can play through so i don't know um I think the books came second. Anyway, the the point being that like the the characters at least came from somebody's actual D and D game, and supposedly, according to Ben, um, the guy who was playing Raceland 
like the character had a 10 constitution, but he was RPing him as though he was incredibly sickly, possibly because he was like resentful of the character having quote unquote, such a low constitution. Um, it's, it's really funny because, um, Raceland. Okay. So written, this book's written by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Uh, what the hell was that noise? I don't know. Anyway. Um, Tracy Hickman and his wife were the ones who created the setting, mostly, Dragonlance. Margaret Weiss is the one who played Raceland, and she was just like, you know what, this guy, he's mine. This is my favorite guy. I love him. He's, uh, he's moody. I can tell that the authors love him. And uh, I'm just going to make this guy my favorite guy. So he's yeah. going to have hourglass-shaped eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he can see the effects of time on all living things. Raceland has powerful OC energy. Yes. Yeah, and I know all of these are technically OCs, but like, you they, know what I mean. She literally gave him hourglass eyes in the game just because it sounded cool. And mm-hmm. then had like backfilled that to like have significance in the story when they were writing the, the books. Mm-hmm. She's been very clear in like talking about these books that Raceland's just her favorite guy. And she loves him. I, I feel bad for assuming that the person who originally played Raceland was a, was a guy. Uh, everything I know about Raceland makes him sound like a um, obnoxious male D&D player power fantasy. But I guess he's an obnoxious female D&D player power fantasy. So I guess that's he's... feminism. The the role <laughs> the role he sort of adopts as things move on is the sort of I guess you would call the Edward Cullen of the like dark uh, somewhat sinister boyfriend who you uh, as the reader might want to sort of mend. Oh, you're supposed I to go. I... <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, 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 okay, okay. You say I can fix him, and his sister Kitiara says, "Yeah, well, I can kick him off a fucking cliff." <laughs> I could fix him. I do not want to fix him. I think he's wretched. There's a whole trilogy about someone saying I could fix him, and then <laughs> praying and deciding, you know what? God wants me to fix him. <laughs> um, I really need to blow my nose. I'm just saying that so you can edit this out. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> anyway, I, I, Tana's half elven maybe could get to a place where I'm like, no, I could fix him. I could see myself latching onto Tannis, but we'll see. Yeah, there's. I I could really see myself latching onto Caraman, uh, oh, yeah. Raceland's brother. Yes. Who, uh, his central character conflict seems to be. Wow, my brother is such a dick. But I love him, so I will always be there for him. And Raceland's like, ha, Caraman will always be there for me. I wonder how far I can push this. Yeah. So I maybe feel I could fix him about Caraman. I'm realizing because now I'm like, that Raceland is house a little bit. Raceland is house a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it would if Winston was his brother. Yeah, what if I could uh, treat the people around me as like objects <laughs> anyway there's a whole trilogy about caraman and raceland and their dynamics specifically mm. so you're in luck with that tanis however not that much more after this one he's in like 
one other book. Hmm. I know he sounds like the protagonist right now because he is, but they quickly decided everyone else was more interesting. No. <laughs> Poor thing. Tasselhoff's in everything. You'll right. never want for lack of Tasselhoff Burfoot. He will Good. be in every book. Good. <laughs> Frankly ideal. Perfect guy. One of the like worst people and also worst writers I've ever known was very into Raceland. Um that, Yeah. That's He's the probably the most popular like if any character in Dragonlands is popular enough to have a fandom, it's it's only Raceland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Well, speaking of perfect guy, yeah, you have a perfect guy to talk about? Uh, Kelsier. Oh, Kelsier? The, the first Kelsier. good man I've ever met. <laughs> do you want to pull up the... Yeah, sure. I'm just going to do this off the top of my head because I've listened to these chapters. Uh, I listened to these chapters two weeks ago and I listened to them again this morning. But I'm probably going to mostly go off the top of my head. I did but not we need it for the... We need it for the uh, uh, chapter headers. Yeah. So. Yeah, I copper did. Copper mine. I went and looked you at go. the copper mine just now, and I realized there's some spoilers on there for me, huh? Oh, is there? Yeah, there's like a notes section where they tell you about um, things that happen in this chapter that are like the first appearance of something that will become important later. Oh no. Yeah, it's really obnoxious, so I think I can't look at the copper mine summary anymore. I it is regrettable that uh Elantris had a much better like summary page than Mistborn does. Maybe because people want to enable each other not to have to read Elantris. Mm. That makes sense. I see this note section here, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't even remember <laughs> what I saw in that notes section, like, mm-hmm. a half hour ago. I was just kind of looking at it, and I was like, oh, hmm, I probably shouldn't see that. And so I promptly yeah. forgot it. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> there is a thing that, yeah, I'm glad anyway. you forgot it. Anyway, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Chapter six. Uh, we do the chapters, and then we do the chapter headers. I'll read the headers after we're done. Okay. Um, so, chapter six, uh, it's the next morning at, um, uh, the hideout, uh, Vin takes a bath that makes her smell like a noblewoman, which she's very upset about, and then we get, um, a lengthy scene of exposition about, okay, we need to do, like, we need to get the garrison out of the city. How do we do that? We need to, you know, not have the... Lord Ruler bring in his co-lost armies. How do we do that? We need to start a war between the noble houses. How do we do that? We can get into the weeds on this as needed. That's just like, the broad strokes is like making the plan for the quote-unquote heist, you know? Um, And then the end of this chapter is Kelsier, uh, or not Kelsier, Marsh, Kelsier's brother, shows up and is like, what the fuck are you doing, Kelsier? Um, and he sends everyone out of this meeting so that, um, he can, like, have a private conversation with Kelsier, which then subsequently eavesdrops on. And that conversation will make up the bulk of Chapter 7. So, I guess before we get there, we should talk about how 
this chapter is kind of dumb. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a little bit. So, you can't blame the chapter for what it contains. The thing that's dumb is Kelsier's plan. Yeah. <laughs> so, their idea to overthrow the Lord Ruler is to incite chaos by provoking a war between the Great Houses. And also lure the army away from the city so that the Ska Rebellion can take over. Mm-hmm. They're also they're going to have to raise an army of about 10,000 troops. Just, you know, 10,000 guys. Yeah. Just raise up an army from nothing of 10,000 guys yeah. and hide them in caves. They gotta get the guys <laughs> and they gotta train the guys. And, and they gotta hide the guys. And arm you them. Do you think there's anything related to the timing of this book about how easy it is to just train a thousand, ten thousand guys in the mountains? Do you think like, <laughs> do you think Brandon is hearing a bunch of stuff on the news about Al Qaeda and being I like, I don't think that's what. Oh, this I is. bet there's like ten thousand guys in those mountains. I, I bet you see how you make ten thousand guys but in I the don't mountains. Think this what this is? You don't think so? I don't think so. I see how you get there. It was just a thought I had, because I was like, Brandon, are you thinking of recent events, or like the things you're being told about recent events? But, um, they have to do all of this, and also be enough of a threat to send the army, but not enough of a threat to send the Coloss army, which is different. Mm -hmm. Whatever that is, the Coloss, they're super scary. I don't know what they are, but... It is the it is like the most like here's a vocabulary word that I'm not going to explain. <laughs> there are I think two or three of those in this book that I can remember, where he's yeah. just gonna toss out a, a word from the setting and not really explain it. Yeah. Um. There's also a lot of stuff of Vin being like, "Oh my God, it's clean in here." God, yeah. <laughs> they act like a family. No, they They're act like nobles. That's what she's. Yeah. Like. I, I this this stuff really wore on me, um, because like, I I'm not saying that like, uh, it's not true in a certain sense that people who have more money or a higher social position keep their houses cleaner, but that's because they can, like, pay people to clean their houses. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Or, yeah, and, um, but it really seems like what's going on here is that Kelsier's people just care more? Or even, like, are better people. I mean, so that is definitely an element of it. I will say that in Chapter 8, there is, like, an explicit acknowledgement of, like, oh, uh, Vin looked around the house and felt bad about, like, tracking mud on the carpet or something like that and then she's like well but also it was ska labor that made the house clean but also you know the ska labor is there to keep up appearances to make the ska rebellion happen so make like then goes through this thought process yeah no um, is what i'll say it is clear that the that people are putting in a lot of effort to keep this hideout clean i'm not saying that the book totally effaces that um but like, um, it definitely feels like the book is kind of trying to uh, associate some kind of, um, we, we don't know why 
Kelsier feels the need to do his hideout this way other than just it's it's nicer and and better i guess yeah there is definitely like kelsier is a good person because his hideout is clean and because his hideout is clean he is a good person like that is definitely like a layer to this for sure yeah like in in the in the setting you in the place that vin is in in chapter eight it makes a little more sense because that place is uh you know a, a sort of fake nobleman's house uh but there's no, nothing like that is going on with the hideout. They're not trying to pre- well, the, the hideout is Clubs' shop. So if right. there's any, like, it must be specifically, like, Clubs' is like mm-hmm. intent that, that his, 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 his place staff. is kept in this particular yeah. way. I don't know, like, he's an old man. Yeah. So. yeah, but it's not just his shop. It's It's all these back rooms. That are, mm-hmm. like, not open to the public. And it's also all the people. Like, all the people are always scrubbed clean of soot all the time. Um, and Vin, like, notices that and thinks it's weird. Um, the thing that wears on me a little bit... And it's weird, because I think, like... This is a thing that I liked about the book the first time through. And I still like, but I think it maybe is a little tedious sometimes it is well established at this point that vin does not trust people Mm -hmm. and it is continually in each and every sentence established but vin doesn't trust this vin doesn't vin doesn't trust this vin doesn't trust that vin doesn't trust this person she thinks this person has an ulterior motive like it, it it goes through like every single thought that vin has is colored by distrust or mistrust um or pessimism right or pessimism and i think that's like important to establish about her character and also i feel like it sometimes gets tedious especially in this early part of the book um i don't remember quite like if my feelings are going to change about that over the course of this book or series so i'm not speaking to the rest of that i'm just speaking to this early part of the book i'm a little like okay we get it <laughs> but the more you lay it on now the more you're like oh shit she just trusted that guy yeah. in like 30 chapters yeah i think it would work a little better for me if it weren't so consistently presented as vin always being wrong about everything because of this constant mm-hmm. suspicion like mm-hmm. she keeps thinking like this rebellion plan is never gonna work and like I don't really understand why these guys aren't just like backstabbing each other and running off with the money. And the whole, everything about the narrative is telling us like, that's not how things are with Kelsier. Around Kelsier, people are nice to each other and shit just works out. And Mm -hmm. I, I would like it if sometimes Vin's like honed instincts for spotting trouble were actually useful instead of being like purely leading her astray yeah like that was true in the cayman hideout and now it is just not true because kelsier is here you know yeah yeah like i i i i don't think like you know this whole like uh almost fish out of water thing for vin where like she's in this weird new situation where everything is different it's not bad um it would just be nice if it were a little more nuanced. If we were willing to acknowledge mm-hmm. that these people that Kelsier's working with are still 
thieves, and they still have, in some sense, fundamentally selfish motivations. Um, but, no. <laughs> Every time Kelsier plays up himself being really selfish, it's so clearly fake. Yeah. Where he's like, yes, and then I'll just leave them to deal with the city that they've taken, and I don't care because my job will be done. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. I don't believe that. Yeah. yeah. It is just patently on. It is just not believable for even a second. But there's also a lot of Yeden being stupid in this chapter, which is not yeah. enjoyable. Yeah, Yeden is just guy who is stupid. That is seemingly his character so far. Every time we need to add a middle manager to the heist team. Every yeah. time somebody proposes a solution to a problem or like lays out an understanding of the of a problem that they're facing Yeden is like <gasps> <laughs> like i guess brandon was like well i need an excuse to tell the reader things so i guess i'll have Yeden here to like act aggrieved or like impetuous about things so that other people can be like no 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 look it's like this mm. yeah <laughs> i also Yeden reminds me of that guy from the Lantress, the noble who bailed on their group. Oh, yeah, a hand, yeah, they're maybe? really desperate guy. Yeah, I and remember the guy who lived out by the chasm, who like yeah. was on his last legs financially, and then eventually just bailed and left the book. Yeah, yeah, and and like he betrayed them, and then he got like stabbed in the gut immediately after his betrayal. Yeah, yeah, I remember that guy, and I do hear what you're saying about Eden kind of feeling like that guy. Um. Um. Mm. I will say one thing. I was complaining about how Vin's, like, uh, you know, uh, hardened survival instincts just always seem to be leading her astray. There is this one moment where we actually get that actually she gets to be right about something, which is like um, they're talking about how the garrison is a, a big issue for them. Like this is the, the army that's stationed in the city and they're not really sure how they're going to be able to take it on because even with this sort of absurd number of 10,000 troops, that's nowhere near enough to take on the garrison. Mm -hmm. And so Kelsier asks Vin if she has any suggestions about it, and she's really, like, intimidated by that. Um, but Kelsier is like, no, no, I, I seriously want your opinion. Like, what would you do if you had a much larger enemy threatening you? And her suggestion in response is like, well you can't fight that enemy head on because even victory is going to leave you totally like hurt and broken. Um, this is not a concept in the setting. Obviously Vin doesn't say this, but it would be a Pyrrhic victory. Like you'd technically win, but you would have lost so much that it's not worth it. So what if we try to distract them and get them to leave us alone rather than fight them head on? And mm. that kind of turns into their plan, actually. Um, yeah. And you can see how this is obviously born out of Vin being like, well, this is what I would do if, like, a huge guy was trying to kick my ass. Um, <laughs> so, you know. It's also what I would do if all of you tried to kick my ass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's not bad. Like, it's kind of cool that she gets to, that we get to actually see that her way of thinking about how to survive might actually be useful in this kind of planning. And we get to see that Kelsier knows that. Mm -hmm. But it's one moment 
Um, and it has to be Kelsier explicitly telling her that she knows things rather than like her internal experience that we're constantly seeing helping mm-hmm. her out, you know? It makes it kind of feel like he went back and added that bit later to make that yeah. a little smoother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, could be. <clears throat> I can especially imagine that there like if 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 there were an earlier version of this chapter that didn't have that moment where Vin makes a useful comment, I can totally imagine an editor editor reading this and being like, Brandon, why is Vin in this scene? Why did Kelsier take Vin to this meeting? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> Um So yeah. Um, before we move on do we want to briefly like it came up in this chapter not very much but we'll get more we'll only get more of him as time goes on um spook and his oh uh yeah his dialect oh that (laughs) yeah um here's the thing about the way that spook talks is that it does not play in um audio oh yeah i can't imagine it does I think by the third book, I could sometimes understand Spook's dialogue, but for the most part, I am totally unable to comprehend the things that he is trying to say. Um, uh, I'm gonna like just. Um, oh, this is the kid whose up... name is Lestaborns. Okay, nobody's calling yes. him Spook yet, so I was confused. Oh right. God, no one's called him Spook yet. Literally, okay, well, literally, he gives his sorry. name, and Kelsier is like, "Well, that's too long. You're gonna need a nickname." And I'm like, "I don't know, Kelsier. <laughs> it's uh, three syllables." It's Listerborns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also, I legitimately don't know. Couldn't remember what his like non-nickname name is, because the way that he speaks, and especially the way that like. The, the narrator, like, reads him as, like, a mumbling kid who, like, doesn't want to be heard. Because mm-hmm. um, he's pretty self-evidently shy in this chapter. Um, I, I just don't understand most of the things that uh, that uh, Lestabornis says. I think, so. yeah. I kind of think this guy is cute because he is, you know, he's, like, Clubs' nephew. He's clearly, clearly Clubs wants to mentor him and, like, make him into someone who can be successful in this world of, like, uh, misting thieves. Um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, he is, like, reticent, and he has this, like, he has this way of speaking that is, like, really foreign to everyone around him, and that makes him kind of an outcast, and I guess what I'm saying is I feel a little bad for him, and I want to see things go better for him. Also, he's, like, the only other kid around, so I want to mm-hmm, see him yeah. and Vin interact. Um, He's I got to... intense in this chapter, like, 12-year-old with a crush on a 15-year-old Oscar energy. Pine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what um, that is, sorry. It's a... From Gravity Falls. No, from Ruby. Oh, I was thinking of the kid from Gravity Falls who's 12 and has a crush on a 15-year-old. Oh, Dipper, oh, yeah, the main right. kid? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's yeah. true. yeah. It, so wait, is gonna... he is he younger than Vin? I thought he and Vin. I don't I don't actually know or remember. He just to me had the vibes of like I've got a crush on a girl and I cannot say anything, so I'm just gonna act awkward well, around her. Let's see. I have his birth year, and I'm looking at Vin's birth year. So uh, he is two years younger than. Yeah. Okay. I did I didn't know that. I just it had the vibe. 
It had to yeah. be um, I, I was just going to read a quick like quote of what we mean by his dialect because uh, it's not. we're probably not going to quote that much of it on the podcast. So if you're not reading along, you have to understand phrases like tin burning, nodding about the seeing, wasing about the not seeing. Which I'm sure if I was reading it, I could reread that sentence and understand it. But in audio, it doesn't play. I just don't understand what he's saying. In all honesty, I'm reading this as a as a print book, and I don't really understand what he's mm-hmm. saying either, and I don't feel like I need to. I, I get it like 80% of the time. There's a couple of things in there that Brandon wrote where I was like, I, I think I understand what you mean. I just need to read the trivia section on Lester Bourne's page here, um, which is that he was inspired by a guy that Brandon knew on a forum who would type like that. Oh my god. <laughs> That's so annoying. Holy shit. Wow. You're saying Thank you, Brandon. Also, you're saying that the way he speaks is a homestuck troll typing quirk. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. The forum itself was a Brandon fan forum until its collapse in 2011. Wow. So so someone made a Brandon fan forum. After Elantris came out. It was also the fan site of Dan Wells and Howard Taylor, who I think are his two of his co-hosts on the writing exercises. Okay, okay. So it's not just a Brandon fan site after one book. I don't think so, no. Okay. That would be really funny. <laughs> it would be really funny. <laughs> but, uh, yes. Uh, Lesterborn speaks in this way because a guy Brandon knew on a forum typed this way. God. Yeah. Or as the wiki says, um, known as Jem on the forum, sometimes posted random gibberish that if looked at very closely turned out to actually be rather poetic. Um, Can I talk a little bit about the the way that this character actually kind of appears in this like planning scene? Um, mm -hmm. Because one element of their plan is that they've got this imposter nobleman called Lord Renew, who is... Somehow, Kelsier has gotten somebody to replace a real nobleman called Lord Renew. And we don't know how. It was probably really fucked up. Uh, Breeze is like, oh, it's one of those. Yeden, you don't want to know what he did. And so I'm like, okay, he, he killed and replaced him? Or he mind-controlled a guy? Mm-hmm. Whatever. I, I don't know how bad this can possibly be. But whatever. Um, so they're going to have this Lord Renew, but then they're also like, well, we need someone to play his heir as part of our little scheme. Who's going to do that? Uh, we thought Dachshund would do it, but he says, I can't because I got marked. Um, and, uh, they list, like, everybody else in the crew and each of them can't do it for some reason. And Kelsier's like, what about you, kid? Um, and then Lestiborn's, like, speaks and it's like, oh, yeah, we can't have you pretend to be a noble heir because your tongue is going to give you away instantly. And then they're like, Vin, how about you? And I was like, yes, 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 yes. Vin cross-dressing. Vin cross-dressing. And no, they're not going to be a noble woman. What the fuck is wrong with you people? I, I'm God, just... this would be a better book if Vin was cross-dressing. She is cross-dressing, right? She's right She's now already cross-dressing. in this scene. She is dressed in, like, men's clothing, because that's what they found mm-hmm. around. But also, clearly, on some level, because that makes her feel comfortable. Because she doesn't like yes. being seen as a girl, because it makes her feel threatened. That's why she keeps her hair so short. They say, That's explicitly laid out. And so it's like, it, it would make so much more sense if you were having her pretend to be a boy. Because it's explicitly laid out later that women inheriting in the nobility is kind of weird. 
And, like... Also, all the guys in this team who know how to pretend to be nobles are men. So, like, I assume they're going to get some person who knows what a noble lady is supposed to be like. And that person's going to teach Vin how to be like that. It's going to be a whole My Fair Lady situation. And I'm not saying that's bad. That's fun, too. But I wanted... I didn't want the Force Femme Vin version. I wanted the Force Mask Femme Vin version. I'm getting so mad about it, I can't talk. I love, I love 19th century shit where a girl just has to dress as a boy. Whoops. It, gosh, I really didn't want to do this, but um, just seems like the only way to solve my problems would be if I uh, bound my breasts and cut my hair. Um, Oh, gosh. Not that I want this or anything. Like... You don't get these kinds of narratives about it. There aren't a lot of types of fiction where, for contrived reasons, someone has to dress as a man and it's, like, kind of exciting. It's much more common, like, at least in the fiction I've experienced, because I think it's seen as, like, kind of transgressive and alluring if a man has to dress as a woman for vague reasons. Whereas I think more often in these girls have to dress as boys situations, it's like people seem to think of it as like a, a matter of, ah, I'm not talking about this properly. I'm sorry. This is just something that I have strong feelings about because I imprinted on a bunch of these fucking like mm-hmm. ballads about a girl going to sea and pretending to be a cabin boy or like, there's a lot of this narrative in like, 19th century fiction, and I thought I was going to get it here, and I'm very disappointed. Yeah. Sorry for being so incoherent. I don't know if... You're good. (laughs) You're good. Chapter 7? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Martian Kels Arky... Kels. Kels? Kel? People call him Kel sometimes? People call him Kel, but not Kels. Martian Kels here uh, argue... Um, mostly about shit that happened, like, years ago, but a little bit about stuff that happened now, but, like, mostly about shit that's happened, like, years ago. Uh, but we obviously don't get it, enough of it spelled out that we can understand. It's, like, a little, you know, just another little narrative hook for you. So one of Brandon's little mysteries. One of, oh, there's always another secret. There's always another secret. <laughs> this is why I wanted that to be our original sign-off. Yeah. But. Um... And that's basically have... all that happens in the... Oh, no, no that's the not. Whole, the whole thing. That's Yeah, I had chapter 7 and 8 mixed up in my head briefly. <coughs> so, after this argument about old times, um, Kelsier is like, Vin, you were eavesdropping. And Vin's like, no, I wasn't. I was in here sleeping. And Kelsier's like, all right, come with me, you little fucking rascal. <laughs> and uh, teaches her uh, about allomancy, and we get another... A lot, a lot of exposition. A lot of, I am ready for the rubber to hit the road as we just get like, hey, okay. this is chapter 7. Yeah. What if this was chapter 27 and you were getting <laughs> to hear about the basics of the magic system? Okay, fine. It's better. It's better We're here. having, we're living right now. <laughs> um, I guess I should run through the powers that Kelsier explains here. Um, Remember, there's 10 metals, mm-hmm. but the two high metals, not really important right now. We'll get to those later. Yeah. But for now, Kelsier is going to tell us about the eight basic metals. 
And I might get these in the wrong order. Um, Here's a list of them. Yeah, pull, pull me up the list. Um, <laughs> okay, making sure I'm reading the right eight that I don't give us anything about future stuff. Um, steel and iron. These are like the... These are the ones that Kelsier explains last, but this is like the coolest like Mistborn power. Is that by burning steel... You can push metal away from you, or yourself away from metal. Um, and with iron, you can pull metal toward you, or pull yourself toward a piece of metal. Um, that is, like, it's, the cool superpower. It's not magnetism, no. because it works on almost any metal. Mm -hmm. So That's the one that you use uh, to do sick parkour shit. Yes, uh -huh. yes, like jumping over big walls. Um, or the woods, have, whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> you have pewter, which increases, like, your strength. Um, physical ability. Physical abilities. is It's your strength, it's your natural healing, it's your endurance. Yeah. It's, like, the toughness of your body. And tin, which increases your, like, senses. Your hearing, your sight, your, like, ability to feel things. And also affects your mind so that you can process all that information. Oh, does in, it? In, Yes. Huh. I, I missed that, I guess. I don't think that was laid out in this chapter, but I believe it. <clears throat> yeah. it. It makes sense. That might be a word of Brandon. I don't know. Yeah. That's what they call that. Mm -hmm. Um. You got zinc, uh, which... Are zinc and brass explained here? Yeah, they have yes. to be. Okay. It's all, all eight. All, okay. Zinc, which kind of, like, stokes someone else's emotions. Mm -hmm. So, like... If you're feeling a little angry, you can use zinc to make that person feel angrier, you know? Um, and brass, which soothes other people's emotions. This is what Breeze is always doing. Um, and so he can soothe your emotions by making, and like make you more amenable to getting him up, getting up to get him a drink. Mm -hmm. Copper, this is what uh, clubs and the people who work for him do. Um, they're smokers. They can like hide allomancy so certain um if you if you have someone who can burn bronze either mistborn or i assume a seeker, them in a, a seeker um, they can like burn bronze to hear other people using allomancy and with copper you can hide like or you can obscure yourself from that hearing i don't remember if a copper cloud can be detected itself or if it's just an absence of allomancy it must just be an absence. It, it yeah. would have to be an absence, because <clears throat> then you would just detect... Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, these are all... These all have guy names, right? If you're coin a shot. steel misting, you're a coin shot. It, iron is a lurcher. They've all got fun names. Pewter is thug, but sometimes also they call them pewter arm. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. It's it's a little bit like which what kind of misting are you? Copper gets smoker, <laughs> just great. Ryan love left for dead. Oh, okay. These are like a um, weird set of powers to me. I'm not saying they're not cool. Yeah. Um, but I I I feel like I don't understand why these and only these things these kind of four types of things you can manipulate in the world, each of which you can potentially move in 
one direction or the other. I do not understand why those are the things. Moving metal, sensing or detecting these powers, influencing emotions, and influencing your own body. The way that it's set up is that, so steel, pewter, iron, and tin are the physical metals. And steel and pewter, which are pushing on metals and increasing your body's ability, are the pushing metals. Or, yeah, the pushing metals, where steel and iron Wait. are the two... Hmm? Sorry, go on. So steel is a pushing metal and iron is a pulling metal. Mm -hmm. So we have the physical uh, pushing external power, which is pushing on objects which is the coin shot powers and we have the physical pushing internal power which is the physical abilities of the pewter yeah i'm not so saying i don't it's all on a weird grid well i'm not saying i don't understand what each of these things is but i guess what i am saying is that i do not understand the underlying reasons why any of this should work the way it does and I would like it if it felt like there was some kind of theoretical explanation to any of this. And maybe that will come later. Um, I'm not saying I wanted more kind of info dump in this chapter. Hmm. It, it's mostly that, like, it, it, it feels like kind of a grab bag of powers that specifically would be useful to thieves. <laughs> yeah. Like, it feels a little bit like the, the suite of powers that Alamancy can use was come up with for things that would be cool to have in this book. Um, so I, I will be interested to learn if any kind of internal logic to the metals appears at any point. I have noticed that the, the way that they're paired, it kind of seems like one of the pair will be like an actual, um, you know, pure elemental metal, like iron, and then the other one will be an alloy of that metal, like steel. Um, yes. And Kelsier is very specifically like, hey, you got to get your alloys right. Yes. If it's not within <laughs> this specific margin, you'll either get less power, maybe get sick, maybe die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's that that is something that I'd kind of been wondering about, because as I was like reading this book so far, I was like, pewter is not like a metal <laughs> or rather it is. But like in the real world. There is a wide range of different alloys that are called pewter. Um, right. right. So there's, like, specifically alimantic pewter is some hyper-specific, like, thing. I don't... You know what? If I click this link, it might even tell oh, me. Yeah. God. Anyway, I'm, I'm fine with that. The, like, I, I found that actually to be kind of a useful no-prize explanation. I was like, what do you mean pewter? Mm. What is your definition of pewter? And Kelsier was like, here's my definition of pewter. And I'm like, okay. All right, fair enough. Um, Alimantic pewter is 91% tin and 9% lead. Just drink this lead, Vin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he tells her, hey, make sure you burn all your metals before you go to bed because some of these are toxic. <laughs> like, some of them contain lead, idiot. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I am, like, interested. I assume that these uh, precise alimantic alloys were... Um, determined over generations of, like, allomantic research, right? Like, the first people to ever use allomancy must have just been using any old uh, alloy that they had around and getting really sick, and they must have had to, like, discover by trial and error what those percentages were. Um, 
I, you know, that's, that's, that's all right. I, I thought that the sense of like people kind of researching these powers that naturally exist in the world and figuring out precisely how to use them, I thought that was one of the elements of the magic stuff in Elantris that was appealing. Mm -hmm. Um, and to be clear, I'm reading that into this. I could be totally wrong. Perhaps at some point the 91% tin, 9% lead thing was like handed down from on high. Maybe it wasn't researched. I don't know. Um, Maybe God researched it. Sure. And delivered the revelation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, we get a whole scene of teaching Vin how to use these basic metals. Yeah. <clears throat> Do we get a brief explanation of the others, or... No, we don't even... No. Okay. No. I like the moment where Vin gets to see the stars. Because of... Yeah. Because of burning tin that, like, enhances her senses, she can... She can see past the mists and past all the ash in the sky. And she's like, what are these lights? And Kelsier's like, those are stars. Everyone used to be able to see those all the time during the night. And... You know, I'm I'm not immune to that. Um, that's fun. The, in chapter eight, there's a much cornier version of this where um, Kelsier is like, "There used to be green plants," and Vin thinks to herself, <laughs> "Green? That's dumb. Yeah, green. Fuck you. Okay, boomer. Yeah. The, the thing of like Kelsier. The stars moment plays better. The thing of like Kelsier knows what the world was like before this like horrible." coming of like ash and stuff uh sometimes it works for me sometimes it doesn't um i feel like ultimately how well it plays is going to depend a lot on what we find out is the reason for kelsier knowing all this stuff because i assume he can't have been alive then but mm -hmm. it, I, it will be interesting to learn because kelsier doesn't just know that once upon a time trees were green and stars were visible. He's got, like, strong feelings about it that almost make it sound like he's a person from, like, the real world. Or just from, like, a place where there isn't mm -hmm. a horrible mm -hmm. ash cloud everywhere. And then he's been transported to this world with a horrible ash cloud, and he can't stand it. The way that, like, you and I would, right? Like, if we had to go live in this city, and all the plants were, like, dead and brown, it would probably make us feel pretty depressed. And we'd be like, motherfucker. This should be different. And it seems like Kelsier has that kind of feeling about it. Not just like a kind of uh, theoretical knowledge. Um, it, it reminds me of the city of Ember. Mm. If you're familiar mm. with that. I've never yeah, read that, but I know about that. It's like a subterranean <clears throat> like city underground. Um, and this girl draws pictures with a blue sky. And everyone's like, why the hell are you drawing a blue sky? The sky is black. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I don't know. It just feels like it would it would look good. Mm -hmm. She has no way of knowing that the sky is blue. <laughs> she's just like, ah, I think blue is a nice color for the sky. That would look really nice. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, if, um, if it turns out that Kelsier just knows about this from, like, like books, or just, like, has has, like, somehow been told about the past and that's all it is i'm gonna be a little disappointed like i'm really hoping that kelsier has i don't know recovered some memories of a, a thousands of years ago incarnation of his soul 
or like time traveled or I, I really want Kelsier to actually have some kind of personal experience of this stuff that he's so emotionally invested in because frankly otherwise he's kind of a like he's kind of like people who like post he's kind of like a keto diet guy you know like does that make any sense? Should I explain what I mean yes, by that? Yes, it does. I understood it. <laughs> like, uh, maybe in case people don't, like, the, the keto diet, which is sort of like ketosis, is people believe that if you eat what, like, our, like, early, like, pre-civilization ancestors well, ate. Keto, keto is a, like, low-carb, high-fat diet. You're thinking of the paleo diet. Oh, shit, you're right. I am thinking of the paleo diet. Yeah. Ugh, the, I think they have, like, similar, uh... They have, they have similar goals. The, the, the keto diet is, like, you can never eat any, like, sugar or carbs. Like, yeah. zero. And only have fats because then your body is going to burn fat in place of sugar. That's the right. idea. Yeah, and... I don't... The, the, the theory, quote-unquote, behind the paleo diet is that if you eat things that were, like, available to people who... And I don't know... I don't know that this is based on any sort of evidence. It's not. Or... It, it really, it really raises more questions than it answers because you have to define like what region. Yeah, the yeah. World I mean, this is talking about. This is why I'm saying that if if Kelsier just like read about this stuff, he's like a paleo diet guy to me because it's like, um, that, like the, one of the things that's obnoxious about the paleo diet is that. It's based on this idea that we know exactly what, like, our Neolithic ancestors ate. And... Yeah. That... When, like, living between the Tigris and the Euphrates, we know exactly what life was like back then. Right. And and also that, like, simply because it was in the past, it has to have been better. And, mm -hmm. like, Kelsier... If, if the only way that Kelsier has this information is through some kind of ancient historical record... It's weird to me that that record is just accurate, and it's weird to me that Kelsier, like, strongly believes in it being so much better. Like, obviously, mm -hmm. we're reading this and we're like, yeah, seeing stars and having green plants sounds better. But, like, Vin's reaction to that, at least for the plants thing, is like, okay. <laughs> and uh, I don't know why Kelsier actually thinks it's so good. I and not, not only that, he's always saying, like, this is how it should be. Um, mm -hmm. And at the moment, it just feels like he is, like, he loves the ancient past because it's the ancient <laughs> past. Yeah. I would like to learn more. And because he hates the Lord Rule. <clears throat> yes. Mm -hmm. Like, I would like to learn more about what Kelsier knows about what the Lord Ruler did and why he believes so strongly that things were better before. Um, yeah. And I have hope about um, that. I'm not saying, oh, it's going to be bad, whatever I learn. No, I think it'll be interesting. <laughs> we have one last chapter in part one, The Survivor of Hathson. Mm -hmm. So, uh, during their training session, Vin and Kelsier jump over the Luthadel walls. Uh, and they meet up with... Oh, I... No, before that. Before that. <laughs> before that... They meet this little guy hmm? thing. Wait, do they? The first sentence of well, chapter well, uh, eight is Vin shot into the air. Yes. So I think they uh, jump okay. over the wall first. They jump over the wall. Yeah. 
then, then they meet, they this meet guy. with this guy thing called a mist wraith and Kelsier does exposition about what mist wraiths are they're like big amoebas kind of yeah they're, they're like, like slime guys. and like this this mist wraith they see has like a human head because the mist wraith ate what Kelsier presumes is just a corpse mm-hmm. somewhere and absorbed this like human head into it <coughs> Um, it's got a bunch of different skeletons in it, and it's using that in, to, like, move around. Mm-hmm. So it's got, like, some horse bones in there. It's got some people bones. It's got a couple of different skulls in there. And it's using that to sort of give its slime body more form to, like, crawl through the ash mm-hmm. and, like, pick up stuff to eat. And there is a lot... And, and Kelsier says, that, like, there's a lot of superstition about mistrates, but they're mostly harmless, it seems like. He's never heard of one attacking, like, a full-grown, healthy adult. They're pretty slow, too. Yeah, Yeah, it seems like they're scavengers. There is this kind of weird thing where Kelsier says that they don't just kind of, like, take in... It's not just that they use the bodies of the stuff that they eat to give themselves form, but also that they can mimic the shape of things that they eat. And Mm -hmm. Vin is like, are they intelligent? And Kelsier's like, no, not one this young. And I'm like... Okay, so they do get intelligent if they live for a long time. <laughs> if they eat a lot of people and they imitate people a lot, I bet they start to kind of become people, huh? Hmm. That's fucked up. That would be weird. That would be weird. I was I was wondering if Mark was going to notice that detail the way I did. Uh, it's also, there's a little bit of a... Um, I get I, I get a little bit of a cheap shot here because in the Book of the New Sun, there's a horrible creature that eats human corpses and learns to mimic human behavior from that. Um, it's a very oh. big deal. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm like a little primed to pay attention to like a disgusting corpse eater that might mimic human life. <laughs> uh, this is just... Another step in Kelsier saying, hey, kid, check out the real world. It's not so spooky as you thought. Yeah. Yeah. And then, after we meet up with, uh, the, we see the Mist Wraith from afar. We're yeah. not, like, we're not, We're not shaking hands. We're not shaking hands. But we do then out. meet my second favorite character in Mistborn. <laughs> He's a fun guy, yeah. Might be my favorite character, but we'll get there. I like Marsh more, but. Yeah, okay. What, what's Anyway. The... What's this guy's name? I was not sure how to pronounce it. Sazed. Sazed? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Sazed or Sazed. Either way. Cool. Because uh, he goes by Saz occasionally, for short. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or at least Kelsier says that. I don't know if anyone else says that. I don't remember, but it, it could be. Anyway. Um, they meet up with Sazed in a, in a carriage uh, who takes them to the home of Lord Renew. Um, I just want to say Renault every time. It sounds better to me. <laughs> Renu um, has a private conversation with Kelsier while Vin has a meal and like just meets Sazed. We get to like a, get to know him a little bit, not too terribly much. We get introduced to some the first little tidbits of how weird the Terrasmen stuff is in this book. Yes, Terrasmen um, are the perfect servants. Mm-hmm. Bred for generations to be like loyal to their lord ruler and polite, polite, 
civilized, like, you know, with all the connotations that that word entails. We've also seen the word terrasman before in the chapter headers. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in that, it seemed like they were these, like, nomadic herdsmen who live in the place where uh, this mm, hero dude yes. is supposed to be going. Mm-hmm. And it didn't seem like they were perfect servants then. It just seemed like they were some people, people who lived in the mountains or, or yeah. in the foothills, I guess, yeah. whatever. So, um, there's some weird vibes on the Terraceman stuff occasionally, but yeah. for now, we are given Sezed. He's very polite. I kept imagine. Okay, so Brandon describes Sezed as looking like Keegan Michael Key. Does he really? Yes. Huh. Like in my head, he he looks like the concierge from John Wick. So okay. when you say he looks like Keegan Michael Key, that's just something Brandon has said, like out in the world. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Definitely a choice to make your um, perfect servant race uh-huh. black. <laughs> I didn't. Mm. Yeah, this is uh, okay. This wait, is wait, not to... based on anything in the books. For some reason, I have always imagined terrorist people as having like a light gray skin, almost like a homestuck troll. I don't know why. I have just always imagined that. I don't think there is any textual evidence for it. There's, um... The the only, like, actual depictions of terrorist people come from the Mistborn Adventure game. Hmm. Uh, I think there's, like, a, a, a splat book that's specifically about terrorist, like, characters and stuff. Hmm. But, um... <clears throat> now you're just looking at I'm just looking at Sazed fan art, basically. One thing, so I found this little conversation that Sazed has with Vin very interesting. He's kind of uh, made to be her chaperone so that Kelsier and uh, quote-unquote Lord Renew can go have a conversation without um, Vin eavesdropping. Um, And while they're spending this time together, uh, Sazed has this little conversation with her where um, he's like, so... Why are you in this whole thing? Uh, what's your beliefs about the world? Because um, I have beliefs. And Vin is like, okay, I don't really have any beliefs. What are your beliefs? And he's like, ooh, wouldn't you like to know, little miss? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not exactly. But it's just, it's very funny that he's talking about belief in this totally generic way. Um, and he's just kind of like, Vin... You should believe in something. The right belief will, like, fit you like a coat, and it'll, like, make your life better. Uh, but he's not interested in trying to, like, convert her to whatever his way of believing is. He just thinks mm. she should have a belief. Yeah. Which is, uh, okay. Um, I, I... I'm curious what... Because, like, the obvious answer to what does he believe in would be, like, Ska Liberation, which seems to be what anyone who is devoted to this plan believes in. Like, obviously that's what Kelsier believes in, in some sense. Uh, In a a different sense, but still, that's what Yidin believes in. And, like, even though everyone's kind of making claims about being in it for the money, I think it's pretty clear that Kelsier's guys also believe that it would be better if things sucked less for the Ska. Um, Yeah. (laughs) We should improve society somewhat. <laughs> but I don't know, like, the, so the logical assumption would be, okay, Sazed also believes in that, but 
because he's being so weird and cagey about it, I have to assume there's more going on for this. And maybe he's got a religious belief about the Lord Ruler or about what happened thousands of years ago or about Allomancy or I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. So I look forward to finding out what that is. Um, yeah. Uh, they also... Basically... Oh, we already talked about this. Uh, Vin is going to be a, c- a cousin of Lord Renault. Renew. Renault. Uh, and he is uh, going to introduce her to the other houses uh, by like sending her to parties and stuff. Or, like being a, oh, a member of the nobility right. in his stead. So he doesn't have to like do stuff, like be a part of noble society. We should we, yeah. But we he's should. also not being like a weird recluse. Yes. Um, it is noted that, um, like, this imposter Lord Renew cannot go, uh, to these parties in Luthadel himself because, um, like, if a Steel Inquisitor saw him, uh, they would know that he is an imposter. Mm-hmm. That is, like, an important detail here to mention. Right. Steel um, Inquisitors, very good at their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're good at sniffing out guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so he can't go. And so in order to not just appear to be a weirdo, he's going to send Vin in his place as a way of like offloading that responsibility while still like participating in the social, social like expectations mm-hmm. of the nobility. So now that means that Vin's going to get to meet a bunch of noble people. Yep. Yeah. I'm sure that'll be really fun for her. Yeah. She seems really comfortable around noble people, so yeah. it'll just be easy. Maybe if she'll meet somebody her own age, and they'll be like... Stop. <laughs> what? <laughs> There's young people at parties. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cute. Uh, um, I, I, um, I was very struck by the weirdness of Vin's way of thinking about... Um, like the the cleanliness and finery in this house because uh mm-hmm. like so she's you know she's left alone in this room with sazed and and with like kind of a plate of like fruit and she starts eating it but she's kind of not eating all of it because she's worried about like getting crumbs on the carpet and stuff um and and like staining the furnishings with like the ash on her legs and at first she's like I think she at first just has this kind of instinctive reaction of like, oh, this is so clean. I shouldn't mess it up. Uh, I don't belong here. And then she's like, actually, wait a minute. I mean, when she literally says or thinks to herself, all of this cleanliness came at some Ska's expense. Why should I worry about disturbing it? <clears throat> Which to me is like a very strange backward way of looking about this because mm-hmm. she's not thinking like, all... Someone else will have to clean this again. Exactly. Like, th- <laughs> this is not how, like, people who are in a class position where they might have to clean stuff up for other people tend to, like, if I, now that I have to, like, clean up a coffee shop every day, if I go to a coffee shop, I'm not going to leave my shit on the tables because I know it is right. going to piss someone I guess off. If Cayman, Ka- is that his name? Yeah, her her previous boss, yeah, came in. Yeah. If those guys never cleaned their shop, then maybe she doesn't think of cleaning as a thing that happens regularly in general. Maybe she thinks of like, oh, 
they must have just cleaned this, but they probably made a ska do it. So why should I care? Well, because they, you know. I mean, it, it feels like what's going on here is that she's thinking about, like, well, it feels like the emotional thing that's going on here is that she's not thinking about the people who have to clean this so much as she's thinking about how the the whole logic of keeping this place so clean is not actually something that she cares about or values, you know? Um, mm-hmm. it, I don't know. It's just confusing to me. All of this cleanliness it's came weird... at some Ska's expense. Makes it sound like she's concerned about the Ska who did it, but I think actually she's just kind of resenting Kelsier for making people do also... this in the first place. Also, we have to note here that she's like, but all the servants seem happy? Yes. <laughs> My god. <laughs> they want to, to to help. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> she's also like weirded out by people just showing up and being like, oh, hey, we're hanging out now. We're just going to eat and like have fun together. I guess nobody, there were no drinking buddies in, at her old place. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like she's suspicious of um, poison, which I think is yeah. a little silly, because, like... <laughs> I, it feels like even for Vin, who never trusts anybody, it feels like at this point she should not be that worried about Kelsier poisoning her, because he could have done it a hundred times if he wanted to. And she's clearly a valuable resource to him. Um, yeah. she, and also like, she won't, they give her like a cup of something that's wine or juice. And she's like, well, I'm not going to drink that. But then she's like, well, I can't pass up a free meal. I guess I'll eat this food. And it's like, what? So do you think it's poisoned and so you won't touch it? Or are you not going to pass up a free meal? Like you can't apply mm-hmm. that logic. You can't apply one part of that logic to one part of that meal and a different part of that logic to a different part of the meal. <laughs> It's silly. Yeah. But, um... You ready for some chapter headers? Yeah, I think that's gonna do it for yeah. part one of the book, so let's just talk about these chapter headers and... I'm good. Chapter six. I never wanted this, true, but somebody has to stop the deepness, and apparently Terrace is the only place this can be done. On this fact, however, I don't have to take the word of the philosophers. I can feel our goal now, sense it, though the others cannot. It pulses in my mind, far off in the mountains. Chapter 7. Rashek is a tall man. Of course, most of these terrorist men are tall. He is young to receive so much respect from the other Pac-Men. He has charisma, and the women of court would probably describe him as handsome in a rugged sort of way. Yet it amazes me that anyone would give heed to a man that speaks such hatred. He has never seen Clenium, yet he curses the city. He does not know me... Yet I can already see the anger and hosti- hostility in his eyes. And chapter 8. He shall defend their ways, yet shall violate them. He will be their savior, yet they shall call him heretic. His name shall be discord, yet they shall love him for it. This is a quote, whereas mm-hmm. the others were not. Uh, so that's our, our continuing little insight into something. Damn, yeah. like a like a savior who will be like reviled in his own time? <laughs> Like, like maybe, maybe they would hate him because they told him the truth. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they would like <laughs> treat him terribly. I don't know. Like maybe torture him to death, and like, but he would still care about them and be like, ah, forgive them. They know not what they do. Like, 
<laughs> it's very funny because I feel like this this little prophecy really wants you to think that it's like bizarre and contradictory, but it's it's just it's just pe- things people say about Jesus. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. That's really good. This guy is just a hater. <laughs> mm-hmm. A hater of what? Like, for what reason? Maybe it's very funny that it's like, wow, he hasn't even been to this city and he hates it. And it's like, I don't really know what the political relation between that city and Terrace <laughs> is. But like, uh, the idea that you would have to go to a foreign city to have to to hate them. And that like, if you had the attitude of like hating foreigners, that that should make people in your own place distrust you is very, um, (laughs) that's not how many cultures work. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I like the passing of responsibility involved in women of the court would probably (laughs) describe him as handsome in a rugged sort of way. I wouldn't describe him that way. Just women. Uh (laughs) Also, I guess now we know this guy comes from court. Whatever that is. Apparently they had yeah. court thousands of years ago, and this guy was a was a member of it or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the court of Clenium. Mm-hmm. Oh, I also want to say I think it's very, very, very funny that the thing he has to stop is the deepness. That's just like a Brandon hero. He is at war with the very concept of depth. <laughs> <laughs> if you think uh. things have more than one meaning, fuck you. <laughs> Uh, that's all. There's a, there's a couple little details that we could point out, but yeah, How about these. I I like, but I think I'm done with these chapters. I think I'm done. Yeah, I like part one of this book well yeah, enough. It's fine. I liked it more on first read because on this read I feel it is too exposition heavy, and. The, the things that played fine for me listening to this book in, like, a matter of, like, three or four days um, on this read just feel like the book is moving at a snail's pace. The thing is, is that some Brandon books are so much about the process of information coming to you and changing that rereading it can feel weird because you know where it's going. And you're yeah. like, okay, I'm thinking about this story but I'm not thinking about this, this, and this that I know to be true later. I'm thinking about it with these, like, boxes unchecked. Yeah. yeah that... like, these flags have not been checked on the in the console. That actually... It's just... Sorry, go on. It's just kind of a weird experience sometimes where I'm like, oh, right, they don't know X about Y right. all the time. I, yeah. I actually, like, I feel like sometimes the way that I read this book and the way that I interpret the world-building information that we're getting, um, it's not... I have, like, a very explicit project, and I think maybe I should describe what I'm doing, um, which is that I am trying to assemble the things that are true about this world only from what I already know about the book. And it's not because I can't make guesses, um, but rather because I am interested in... I am interested in, I guess, playing with the idea of what this book is actually saying versus what it is leaning on you assuming. Um, 
And uh, this has actually come up a little bit in the Discord where I was, like, trying to talk about, like, oh, can, can Ska leave the place that they're bound to? And, like, what is their relationship to the idea of, like, professional work or wage labor? And I was kind of asking questions about this, and somebody was just like, oh, yeah, Ska can totally leave their plantations. And mm-hmm. that's... Which has, like, not come up so yeah, far. Yeah, well, when that exchange happened, it hadn't come up in what I had read. And so I was like, oh, well, okay, thank you for telling me something from later in the book that I don't want that. Like, if I'm asking questions like this, I'm not trying to get people to tell me world-building information from later in the book. I'm trying to talk about the questions that I feel the book is opening up for me and mm-hmm. making me wonder about. And then also... Um, I don't want people who've read all of Mistborn to tell me what the world building is because you're going to be fucking wrong sometimes because it's not true yeah. that Ska can just leave their plantations. It says it in one of the chapters we read for this po- this part that that Ska are not allowed to leave their plantations. And that, I mean, some of this has to do with the fact that people don't go out in the mists, but like... And, and I think that maybe when you've read the whole book and you know that sometimes people do leave the plantations, it's hard to remember that technically speaking, it was established that that's not allowed. So Hmm. I guess what I'm saying is if you are going through Mistborn and you're rereading it, or if you've already read Mistborn and you're following along with us, even if you're not silly rereading it thing by thing, let me do what I'm doing. Let me build up what I feel like this book is presenting yeah. me. And if it's going to contradict what I think it's presenting later on, that is interesting to me. I want to get there. I want to learn that. Yeah. Um, but I've got a critical project I'm trying to pursue here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> this brings us to the end of part one, The Survivor of Hathsin. Next episode, we will begin... With the first three chapters of part two, Rebels Beneath a Sky of Ash. I wonder if people are going to rebel. Oh. I don't actually... It's it's a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. This is actually, like... I'll say for myself, I remember, you know, most of the rest of this book, but these chapters I felt like I had almost memorized because they're so exposition-heavy and I had to keep these facts in. The rest of the book is, like, stuff that I'm like oh yeah, I know this is going to happen and that's going to happen, but there's a lot of connective tissue from like here mm-hmm. to the end that I don't remember very clearly, so I'm also just excited to like get get through the rep from here on and like remember this stuff as it comes I remember out. the set pieces, I just don't... Yeah. 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 So I remember the part where I was like, I guess I'm going to sit outside of work after I clock off for like 40 minutes reading the rest of this chunk of the book because I'm just not going to be able to stop and drive home. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to have to sit here and finish this part at least. Yeah. Uh, so. Anyway. Yeah, I'm excited. Mark, where can people find you online? You can follow me on Twitter at Char Asnablunt, uh, and you can find my other podcast, Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements, which is about Moby Dick, at abnormalmapping.com slash whale. Autumn. You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find all the other podcasts at exportodd.io. Um, you should give us a dollar so you can get access to podcasts early, for example. Um, yesterday we put up an episode of Ornate Stairwalls that was very good, I thought. Um, you can get this podcast early, you can get Hot Singles early. 
I will be returning to Hot Singles soon for a little, like, early December spinoff episode thingamajig, and then probably in January, just, like, returning to Hot Singles regularly. But while I've been gone, they've been doing very good episodes, so. You can find me on Twitter at neither Nora. Find stuff I do at NoraBlake.online. And you should listen to Bag End Book Club. If you like this podcast, you'll like the one where we read Lord of the Rings. I am 90 minutes from the end of Fellowship. I gotta go to therapy here in just a few minutes, and then I'm gonna finish Fellowship. Fellowship is fucking amazing! We'll talk about it next time on Ars Arcanum after you've yeah. finished it. You'll be like, okay, here's yeah. Fellowship. There's a chance yeah. I actually bring it up, because, like, Bag End's a very, very good podcast, and we also talk about books differently there than we do here, so I might, <laughs> I might touch on some things if I feel like I've missed anything. Anyway... Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. We were in sync on that one. <laughs> <laughs>